Hi, ladies. Okay, so we are now in week three and we are ready to jump into the strategies of how to strategically pray. Remember last week I asked you or I challenged you to fast. Um, Maybe it was something, a fast food restaurant or fast food in general, or maybe watching television, a certain show. Um, Something that you genuinely like to do, but you're gonna deprive yourself from doing that. And instead of uh, doing that activity, you instead pray and ask God to give you the strength to not do that or the strength to stay away from that, fill you with something else. But you're, you're dying to the flesh. That's what, so to speak, that's what we're doing. Um, so now that we have fasted, or if you are like me, you are, you are challenging yourself and you're continuing to fast. Um, and remember, you can do anything all the way up to a 21-day fast. If you do decide to do a 21-day fast regarding food, make sure that health-wise, your body is ready for that. You're you're not going to harm yourself. So be very careful with that if you decide to extend it to 21 days. Um, so now that we have fasted or we are fasting, this week, it is time to get to work. We are going to be doing two strategies a week so that we can not only identify the enemy's schemes and tactics, but we learned how to use the most powerful weapon in the name of Jesus to cast down demons, demonic attacks, spiritual wickedness in high places, and to remember that no weapon formed against us shall prosper. Hallelujah. Ooh, hallelujah is the highest price. So ladies, let's get right into this without further ado let's jump into the strategies of knowing how to strategically pray Strategy number one, your passion, getting it back when it's gone. If I were your enemy, I'd seek to dim your passion, dull your interest in spiritual things, dampen your belief in God's ability and his personal concern for you, and convince you that the hope you've lost is never coming back and was probably just a lie to begin with. Fervent prayer is fueled by passion by faith, by fire. When everything else inside you is pulling you in 20 million different directions, off to the next busy thing in your busy day, if not off to bed and off the clock, passion is what plasters your knees to that floor and digs in for dear life. It's your oomph, your chutzpah, your cutting edge. Passion is what pushes the athlete to run one more lap, to crunch through one more set of reps, It's what silences those screaming thighs and stomach muscles, making them do what their owner demands of them no matter how loudly they complain. Passion is what keeps a piano player anchored to the practice bench when no one else is around to notice the effort or give a pat on the back for approval. Passion is what inspires the eager young employee to outperform expectations instead of just punching the clock to earn a paycheck like everybody else. 
Passion is what burns up the road between a child in danger and a parent in pursuit. It glows red hot and goes on driving and grows even larger the larger the obstacles become. Passion is the fuel in the engine of your purpose. It's your want to. It's what keeps you going when mundane tasks bore you or difficult ones dissuade you. Passion is what keeps you moving in the direction your best intentions want you to go. That's why if I were your enemy, I'd make stealing your passion one of my primary goals. Because I know if I could dim your passion, I could significantly lower your resistance to temptation and discouragement. I could make you walk with a spiritual limp and lengthen how long it takes you to recover from the injury. If I could chip away at your zeal, at your hope, at your belief in God and what he can do, I could chisel down your faith to a mere whimper, make you want to quit and never try again. I cup an ear in your direction, hear nothing in your voice that sounds like anything but token prayer and snicker in my success. Chalk another one up to my quote unquote passion elimination plan, the one with your name on it. Oh, that's what I'd do if I were your enemy. I'd weaken your passion, your cutting edge, knowing full well that weak, impotent prayers, or better yet, prayerlessness altogether, would follow right behind. So take a long, hard, deep look at yourself and answer this question. Have you lost your passion? Has your get up and go simply gotten up and gone? Maybe you've prayed and prayed for the same thing over and over. Maybe you've wanted God's will so bad and wanted life to look different for so long. Maybe you're feeling utterly discouraged or disappointed right now. And you're not sure why you keep being surprised every time the same old thing keeps happening again and again. Maybe other demands and distractions have leaked into your heart over time, crowding out space where older, nobler priorities once ruled. I get all that. I've felt all that. But what makes you think it's somehow all God's fault or your fault or everybody else's fault, but never the enemy's fault? Why aren't we equally as quick to recognize the telltale marks of his darkened ideas and initiative? When you can't seem to respond to spiritual stimuli with the same optimism and obedience as you once did, why do you think it could only be attributable to your bad character or to a drop in your hormone level, to the normal deterioration that comes from age and accumulated adversity? Maybe another less noticeable but equally probable reason is that you've been a victim of satanic sabotage. It's a strategy against you on purpose, an assault launched with pinpoint planning and detail. I mean, think about it. Doesn't it fit the profile? Satan is a full-time accuser. He does it according to Revelation 12:10, day and night, the Bible says. Instead of convicting you for the purpose of restoration as God's spirit does, he condemns you for the purpose of destroying and humiliating. This pattern, by the way, is classic proof of enemy influence. Watch for it and note his fingerprints. Condemnation always leads to guilt-laden discouragement, while conviction, though often painful in pointing out our wrongdoing, still somehow encourages and lifts us, giving us hope to rebuild on. The first makes you focus on yourself. The other points you to the grace and empowering mercy of Christ. To hear the devil tell it, 
these weaknesses of yours are reason for nothing but wretched despair. Yet God says those same weaknesses are reasons for your purest worship and gratitude. Your need for God's grace is supposed to be a passion enhancer. That's the opposite of what takes place, however, as soon as you start believing the enemy's accusations. He'll make you think God doesn't hear your prayers or respond to them. Why? Because of you. How typical. Because Satan, in addition to being an accuser, is also a confirmed liar. No worse. He's the father of lies. That's what John 8.44 says. The granddaddy of all untruth. Deception is the overarching umbrella that encompasses all his plans and programs. He warps your perspective on the current events in your life until reality appears much worse and more desperate than it truly is. I'm not saying your situation is not legitimately bad. Perhaps it is painful beyond description, but through his lying eyes, any passion for perseverance seems like a silly sentimental waste of time. And yet he has the gall to insinuate that God is the one who lies to you. That any delay in the Lord's visible response to your prayer is open and shut evidence that he doesn't really hear you like he says. Or if he does, he apparently doesn't mind seeing you writhe in discomfort while you wait on his own sweet time. Such fighting accusations against you, against God. That's bitter lies about what's really taking place. Those are just some of the ways he tries to eat away at your passion. Not overtly and conspicuously. He's much too crafty for that. But cunning, slowly, incrementally over time, 